I'm going to talk at you guys instead. I've got to say what Alice um, prayed for us, praying into the passage. Actually, that was just the perfect introduction to what, what I'm going to say. In fact, she probably said better in about 30 seconds what I'm going to spend about 15 minutes saying. So that's fine. Maybe we just give up on that. But I think absolutely um, she was on the money about what um, God has put on my heart for this morning. So this morning, I just want to spend a little bit of time talking about the concept of margin. And uh, when I say margin, uh, that may conjure up sort of images of exercise books in school, you know, with the bit that you rule down the side, um, or, or else, you know, maybe people on the edge, you know, we talk about people on the margins. But what I mean in, in, in terms of margin here, I'm talking about time and the way that we, we plan and organize and ultimately kind of live our lives. And we've been looking over the last few weeks at the early chapters, or was it still in chapter one, of Mark's gospel, and seeing what that, that tells us about Jesus, um, how he lived, what was important to him, and really just trying to draw from that our, a sense of what our own priorities as his followers should be in this unique moment um, you know, in which we find ourselves. So if you were with us two weeks ago, we saw Jesus head to the, to the wilderness, um, the place of isolation, just as he was about to begin his ministry. Um, and so the, the verses that Austin read for us are the second reference to Jesus choosing to spend time away from people um, and the busyness of life in just the first few verses of Mark's gospel. And obviously, uh, words like solitary and isolation um, carry a bit of a, a resonance and maybe a bit of a weight over this past year, largely as something that has happened to us unchosen, um, something imposed on us because of the pandemic. Um, so we don't necessarily have the most positive view of, of being alone or being cut off um, from others in this moment, this cultural moment that we're in. And, uh, you know, I'm an externalizing extrovert, as anyone who has spent time with me will know. Um, I find too much time alone exhausting. Um, I'm energized on the whole by being with people. But over the past few years, I've found myself thinking a lot about the place of silence and solitude in my life and in my relationship with God. And in that, I found some uh, writings of, amongst others, uh, Dallas Willard, Robert Mulholland, uh, John Mark Comer, Ruth Haley Barton, uh, really helpful, really challenging, but really helpful. And so at the, the beginning of 2020, so January 2020, I found myself teaching on this subject, the importance of silence and solitude, um, not knowing what was just around the corner, what was just about to hit us in March and the rest of the year. And what I've come to believe is that a huge part of learning to live Jesus' way, which is what we're sort of looking at here, growing as his disciples, his followers, his apprentices, rests on making space to turn the noise of the world down and to learn to rest in God's presence and to operate from that place. Um, or, in, or in other words, to build margin into our lives. So if you've got a Bible or you want to look this up on your, your phone, um, we're in Mark chapter 1 at verse 35. Um, I'm actually going to, um, Austin read the whole passage that I asked earlier this week, and then I just realized as the week went on as I was preparing, we're just going to concentrate on the first few verses. So we'll come to the second part of that story on another week. But we're really looking at verses 35 to 39. 
Um, don't worry if you don't have a copy of that. I'll, I'll talk you through it. It's fine. Um, Jesus is, is riding this huge wave of growth of his ministry um, based around healing people, based around setting people free. We looked at that last Sunday evening. Um, uh, we're going to try and post that on, on Facebook at some point, possibly, if we manage to record it okay, or SoundCloud. So you can go back and listen to that. But basically, everyone in Capernaum, that's where he is, is, is um, coming to Jesus. Business is booming. Um, but in verse 35, Jesus gets up while it's, it's very early, it's still dark, and he goes off to this solitary place. And don't be confused, that, that word is exactly the same word translated as, as wilderness that we looked at earlier in the story. It just means a, a deserted or an empty place. What does he do there? He prays. That's all we get. He goes to the wilderness uh, to pray. And back in Capernaum, his team wakes ready for a, another busy day of ministry, the, the sick to heal, you know, people to teach, t-shirts to sell, um, maybe not. The stage is set, the crowds are waiting, there's no sign of Jesus. So they search and they eventually find him, but you can kind of hear the exasperation in their words, verse 37, everyone is looking for you, which is probably a slight exaggeration, I'd imagine, but you get the point. And Jesus fails spectacularly to get caught up in their excitement. And his reply, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can uh, preach there also. That is why I have come. So leaving the crowd, um, you can imagine the stress of the disciples. Big crowd, no sign of the star attraction. You know, it's a bit of a PR nightmare. I know some of you work in media or show business, so you know the, the, the stress of sort of handling a no-show. Jesus sets off traveling through Galilee, uh, preaching and healing and doing what he came to do. That's kind of what we heard in the second part of the story. So that's, that's it. That's the story you know, four or five verses, blink and you've missed it. And the bit that I'm interested in is what happens in the wilderness. Because like I said, all the Mark tells us is that Jesus goes there to pray. So let's start with why. Why does Jesus step away from an embryonic but fruitful ministry? Um, he's got a growing following. People are coming to him. There's plenty of business. So, so why duck out now? And a couple of days ago, I heard an interview um, on, the, on the radio uh, with, a, with a social media influencer. I came in halfway through it. But basically, um, at some point, her Instagram prof, uh, kind of got profiled on BuzzFeed or something else. And overnight, she basically gained tens of thousands of followers. She woke up the next day, tens of thousands of extra followers. And... Um, what she said is that with this, gradually over the, the days and the weeks, came this sense that she couldn't step away, not for a minute. Because it would know, just be madness to develop, um, to sort of abandon her developing audience, um, just as the, the likes were increasing dramatically. But remember, one of the temptations Jesus faced during that previous spell in the, the wilderness, the one that we looked at two weeks ago, was to base his actions on what people's expectations of him were. And um, remember, you are what you, what you are, what people think of you. We looked at that trap. We recognized it as one that we are all vulnerable to falling into. 
So Jesus here isn't doing what's expected of him. And what we see happening in that time praying in the solitary place is, is a kind of a pivot in his itinerary away from what people were expecting him to do. Um, he hadn't mentioned this to Simon and his, his friends the night before, clearly, because obviously it comes as a surprise to them when they wake up in the morning and find that he's gone. So I think we have to believe that Jesus went into the desert with an open mind and came out of it with a renewed sense of purpose and direction. Now, just park for a moment any questions that throws up about you know, what it means that Jesus is fully God, which he is, and knowing everything, which he does. Um, And look at it this way. Jesus intentionally creates margin by going into the wilderness to prepare for what happens next. This change of tact, this taking his ministry onto the road. And that comes through this time away on his own, away from the crowds, away from the distractions of life with his father, his heavenly father. That's where, we get, um, that's where he gets his answer to that question, uh, to quote President Jed Barlett from the West Wing, what's next? Sorry if you don't like the West Wing. And I really mean sorry if you don't like the West Wing. The margin is where Jesus finds the answer to the question, what's next? And I said before that there has been, I know, a huge variety in lockdown experiences. So for some, it's been you know, way too much time surrounded by people, the same people. You know, lockdown has been anything but a solitary experience. And then for others, the last 12 months have brought almost unbearable isolation. I was talking to someone recently who said uh, that they haven't spent any time face-to-face with anybody for over 12 months since the whole thing began. And then maybe you've experienced both of those things almost simultaneously, a sense of kind of loneliness and isolation whilst constantly surrounded by the same people and not a moment's peace to be had. Maybe when you hear Jesus choosing to spend time in a solitary place, you think, that's exactly what I'm hungry for. Or perhaps you're thinking, that's the last thing I need, more time alone. But I want to look at solitude from a different angle this morning, not focused on people, but on technology. And in particular, this. And so the benefit of anybody who's listening later on SoundCloud, I'm holding my mobile phone. And this amazing device, which... You know, brings so many benefits, has been described as infinity in our pocket. Um, I, I remember growing up, sorry, it's going to show my, my generation, but watching Inspector Gadget. And uh, if you remember Inspector Gadget, there was Penny, and Penny had a book, her book thing that you could control the whole world with. Just never imagined that we would all have one of those. It was just like the coolest thing. This has been described as a world of endless possibility and distraction that we carry with us at all times. And for me, um, and for maybe you too, it's the biggest barrier to solitude today. It's the biggest sort of destroyer of margin in our lives. Did anybody see The Social Dilemma last year on Netflix? Just put your hand up if you saw that. 
Okay, so some of us, some of us saw The Social Dilemma. If you get a chance to see it, do watch it. It's scary stuff. It's a documentary looking at the impact of mobile devices and, and their apps um, on our lives and our, and our relationships. And what gives it its power is it's told by the people who designed and programmed them to be essentially addictive. And one stunning revelation for me was um, how many of those involved in the development of mobile phones and the apps have personally sworn off mobile devices or at least put very strong boundaries around their use for themselves and for their kids. And the phone it suggested is, is basically the most perfect marketing device ever conceived. It's literally designed literally to capture ever more of your attention. If you ever wondered why it's so hard to put it down, it's because very clever people have been paid a lot of money to make it so. It's not your fault. Your attention is a commodity which the tech companies essentially sell to advertisers. That's how it works. That's how it's monetized. And as one person in the film says, if you are not paying for the product, then you are the product. This is social media we're talking about. And in the, um, the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Comer highlights research that shows that the average, this average iPhone user touches their phone 2,617 times per day over 2.5 hours over 76 sessions. That's the average. And he quotes Robinson Meyer describing it as a magical device that silently shouts your name at your brain at all times. And there's all this stuff around um, research, which I haven't got time to go into now, maybe another time, about talking about the impact on our brain and our attention spans when we are just in the same room as our mobile phone. It actually has changed the way our concentration levels work. And so for many of us, okay, and sorry if this is not you this morning, okay, we'll have something for you next week. But this is why we have lost any sense of margin. This is why even in a year of enforced solitude, isolation, sorry, in a year of enforced isolation, we have experienced so little solitude. The quiet place, the moments throughout the day when we can stop and we can meet with God. And we can get our bearings and, and renew our sense of direction. The other day, I was waiting outside the local archdeacon's house. Some of you know him, um, just three doors down. While well, I stood there for all of five minutes while he finished something up before we went for a walk. And it was the hardest thing to do, to just stand there and to not reach into my pocket and to distract myself from this unwanted moment of stillness. Um, uh, you know, I think probably knowing that I was going to be preaching on this this Sunday sort of helped me to do that. But maybe you can relate to that. We just don't do solitude anymore. But part of what we're doing as we come out of lockdown, assuming this is where we're heading, and we know there are a huge number of question marks about that, and will continue to be, but part of what we're doing is getting our bearings again in a radically altered world recalibrating our sense of direction. And for followers of Jesus, following his example, that means making regular space to spend in the quiet, away from it all, to pray and reflect on what's happening around us, what's going on inside with our Heavenly Father. Don't get me wrong, you know, 
these things, this isn't just like a beat up on the mobile phone. I love these things. They're amazing. They do so many things. Um, they've been an absolute godsend in the last year in so many different ways. I'm so thankful for what it's enabled me to do, especially in the pandemic. But when it eats up margin, all the margin, the moments that we can step back from the noise, when we can draw near to God throughout the day, prayerfully bring our lives our emotions, our priorities to him in his presence, then I think there's a real danger that we will lose something that we desperately need, perhaps more now than ever. So where do we go from here? Well, option number one is to throw our phones away, go full Amish. I'm not advocating for that. That option's not an option for me. It probably isn't for you too. But you could try. Let me know how you get on. I remember I, used, I, was, I was the last person in my group of friends to get a mobile phone. I remember that initial sense of the world is happening around me and I don't know what's going on. So let's assume we've got to have our mobile phones. So here's a couple of things that you could try if you want. The first is just simply in the light of this to just be a little bit more aware this week of uh, how, how our phones, it might not be phones, it might be other technology or other things, how that can be just um, you know, robbing our days of margin. Yeah. And just to say, kids, if you're on a, on a phone or, or, or an iPad right now, that's absolutely fine. This is not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about what you do when somebody talks for 20 minutes and you just got to sit there. I'm talking about something a little bit different. The little moments throughout the day that we have. It's more an adult thing. We can push back about it, um, kind of like I did the other day, standing outside the, the house. It's okay to just stand for a moment may feel very weird to just stand there for a moment, but it's okay. It's okay to feel bored once in a while. You remember that, boredom. It's something, anyway. There used to be times when we literally had nothing to do or to look at, just the world around us. But if you really want to get a measure of how your phone impacts your, your time or the way you think or feel, you could just try the simple exercise of turning it off Yes, off, not on silent or airplane mode or anything else like that. Completely off for one hour each day. Okay, some of you may be sitting there thinking, I, I, my phone's off most of the time, what you're on about. But for some of us, our phone is never off. Try one hour, put an alarm on it, switch it off. Do that for a week, see what happens. Because I think you'll, you'll learn, I've, I've tried this, and you learn quite a lot about your relationship with your phone and, you know, possibly the impact on your prayer life or relationship with other people. So my hope, and I'll, um, I'll finish here, is that you'll discover more moments to stop, if you try that, to reach into your pocket, find that there's nothing there, and instead turn to God in prayer, who is waiting for you in the moments of solitude, in the margin, waiting to meet you there, to minister to you, to, to love you, to lead you as you go through the day. So why don't we pray? In fact, why don't we stand? Um, I'll invite John to come up. We're going to respond in worship in a moment. But uh, I'm just going to start by praying.